Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. How do you know if the Master of Arts in Biblical Ministry at Ozark Christian College is right for you? The MA in Biblical Ministry was created to build a solid biblical foundation, helping you dive deep into the text and offering effective ministry strategies to prepare you for whatever calling God has on your life. This degree is affordable and highly flexible. You'll experience a transformational education community unhindered by distance. So what's your next step? Well, it's simple. Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu slash masters. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm so happy that you're joining me today for this episode. Today's episode features Global Discipleship Initiative, given their third and final track session from last year's forum. Greg and Ralph do a great job in this episode at taking some of the pressure off of being a small group leader. A lot of people think they need to be Bible experts to lead, but that's just not true. You just need to be courageous in transparency and intentionality. There's also a super helpful Q&A section right after the break about various problems you may run into in starting a gender-specific small group, so make sure you stick around for that. All right, everybody, let's jump in and hear from GDI's last track session from last year. Here we go. Well, good morning. My gosh, was I ever surprised? few minutes ago. Wow, that was, well, thank you. It completely, totally caught me off guard. And if I can emotionally get through this session, <laughs> I will struggle through it to, to do so. But thank you for coming. This is, um, let me pray for us. That may call me now. Um, Lord God, uh, thank you so much for your goodness. Jesus' name. Amen. I can't go any further than that, sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so back on task at hand. If I can get to work, I'll be all right. Um, so if you, ha- you have your uh, overview here of the GDI approach to disciple making, you have the symbol on the first page there and the head, uh, headings of our sessions of what we're trying to do. So we're trying to be building consecutively to give you a kind of a a completer picture of the whole discipleship process, at least as we see it, and we've been trying to live out in our ministries and our churches and our lives. So what we covered so far, as you can see here, we started with the successful journey. Uh, you see that symbol on the right side of the, of the picture there. Uh, of what does a successful journey look like? Disciples who make disciples. And so we always like to start what we call the end in mind and give you a picture of a church that was... Um, has gone through a transformative process, see the disciple-making culture formed so that the energy level that was released in that congregation was people who had been discipled, who were discipling others. And I have the friend, well, I have had the opportunity and friendship with Ralph Rittenhouse, who you'll hear from here as we go. It says, Ralph, you get up here and throw off anything you want to throw in uh, this session. And Ralph's the pastor of Camarillo Community Church, led that church through that transformation. About five years ago, we decided to start this ministry, Global Discipleship Initiative, to try to share the discoveries that we have uh, have been learning. And uh, so to, uh, we have some of uh, Ralph's uh, core leaders and, and staff uh, here as a part of our, our ministry. So seeing that picture uh, really helps. I know any time I visited Ralph's church, and he brought me in a number of times to, as consultant and teacher, and uh, then seeing them adopt um, this uh, totality of this ministry. And it really, Ralph is a good illustration because uh, senior pastors have to be all in on disciple making if you're going to see the transformation of the church. If they're not, you're only going to go so far. Uh, and so you have to be the prime models and practitioners and prime promoters. They don't have to be the prime administrators. You can have other people do a lot of the administration work when it comes to the undergirding of that ministry, but they have to have that. And Ralph was leading that. He brought his staff along so that all the staff were disciple makers. And then his elders, as they came on, they were disciple makers. And that then influences the whole congregation. And you see growth and groups 
One group then produces another, produces another. And when you go from zero discipleship groups to 150 in five years, that can have an impact upon your church. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's what happened. So that, that story was told, and you'll hear more from Ralph as we go. And then the second element you see, or the first element actually you see in terms of what's the equation that leads to a transformed church is the relational environment. We've been talking about that for the last two sessions. Um, the key element in the second session was the power of personal invitation. Uh, and as you will hear, we focus in on microgroups, groups of three or four as the transformative context for life change, and that those groups are uh, you meet to a year to a year and a half. And as I was listening to Lisa and, and Drew in this last session, talking about the intellect and the emotion, um, and where do you have a chance to kind of stimulate people's intellect so that they're grappling with Scripture and bringing their insights to Scripture and, and then addressing the emotional side of one's life in terms of the wholeness. Um, microgroup is just a perfect blend of those two uh, elements that they were talking about to get your, your core beliefs correct because you have to study and articulate and, and around the truth of Scripture, and we use a, a curriculum that you'll hear about. Uh, so those things come together. And in this last uh, session, we talked about the necessity of transparency uh, in that context. Um, only as we open our lives up to what's really going on in them uh, does the truth of God's word actually have the ability to sink into our lives. And you might compare it to you know taking a plow and plowing soil, and it, until you turn over that soil, you can't get the seed into the ground. And the same thing is true. And then we looked at you know first or second uh, Timothy three sixteen and six, seventeen. Uh, all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching. Of course, there's your, in a sense, your intellect side of things, your doctrine. I like to call it just reality from God's perspective. That's where we, what we get in scripture. And then the second element there is rebuking, right? So profitable for rebuking. Uh, why does Paul put that in there? Uh, because when we put our lives up to scripture, it has a way of uncovering us, exposing us. Uh, you know, revealing the state of our own hearts. And unless the scripture is doing that, you're not going to change. It's just accumulating information uh, that you can, what, use in a prideful way. <laughs> and, uh, not in a way that's actually changing you. Third element there is correcting. It's getting you back on the right track and that kind of thing. So that's what we spent some time doing in the last session, both transparency and the, the issue of covenanting, the commitment to together uh, to take a serious approach to these things. So in this last session, we're looking at two elements here. Uh, the first one is uh, in, intentional leader, and then the, 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 the last one will be reproducible process. So um, lowering the bar of leadership, the genius of the group of three or four is almost that anyone can lead, equipped with a disciple-making tool. So um, let's take a look at this. Uh, what we're trying to do is, what, what's a model that is more universally um, spreadable, in a sense. I'm trying to think of the word. Universally accessible to people. Uh, if you're going to have a reproducing disciple-making movement in your church, then a lot of people have to be able to lead that. It has to be at a level so that it's not so complex, so difficult, that you have to have this high level of training, uh, that uh, everybody has to go through a 10-week course of training, and then you will have the skills and credentials that they'll lead it. That's going to make it a very rarefied air in terms of those who can actually carry it on. So what's a model that actually almost any follower of Christ can be engaged in and lead? That's why we love the simplicity uh, of the microgroup experience. Um, so the first thing I put up there on the screen is it is profoundly simple. Uh, it, you get a group of three or four people together, uh, you don't have to have a lot of training for people to lead a conversation. You need to have some structure. Um, that's why you have a curriculum. We'll talk about that uh, in a moment. But uh, as you get together and have a sort of an egalitarian approach, we're all in this together. Um, somebody can kind of walk people through a curriculum. You can walk people through questions that are already laid out. And uh, you can find that you, uh, you know, can actually do it. So the simplicity. The larger the group you have, the more specialized training you have to have. So it, even in traditional small group world, when I, by traditional I mean groups of 6 to 10 or 12, um, 
you usually have to give the leaders some specialized training to do that. Uh, so what happens? In a group of 12, four people will talk and the rest will be silent, right? So how do you bring out the rest of those people that are going to be quiet? How do you keep the quiet, keep quiet those four people that are going to dominate the whole conversation? So it takes some skill to do that. It takes some training to do that. And again, the more training you have to add, the more uh, fewer people who are going to be able to actually do that. So uh, under this area of profoundly simple, there's just a, a couple of major roles that is very necessary for a leader to perform. And the first one is uh, beginning the group itself. Uh, so at least our process is that an individual uh, prayerfully considers whom God has put on their heart and uh, waits for discernment. And, uh, and what's, what are you listening for? You're listening for uh, God's spirit to draw you to people who you see are open and have the, the desire to go deeper in their faith. And that can take some time. You know, I, I take months, two, three months sometimes as I'm getting ready to start a new group, asking the Lord to you know, show me who it is. Um, uh, I, I just formed a, a group recently. Uh, we're, going, we're going for five, probably nine months now. And I was, I was looking for a fourth, and I kept looking. Who's that fourth? About 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, a name came to me as I was pondering this. And uh, it, it happened to be a retired high school principal, had just retired. Uh, he had gotten the Principal of the Year Award for the State of California, one of the leaders in our church. And I called him up the next day. I, just, you know, I usually tell him something like, I've been praying about this, starting a new group. Uh, uh, I need a group to be a part of, and the Lord put you on my heart. Would you be interested in considering this discipleship group? You know, describe it a little bit more. And, I often don't get this, but he said, I'm in. <laughs> you know? Now, no, let me tell you more about what you're going to have to actually commit yourself to. Uh, and it's been great. So uh, that sometimes it happens that way, and sometimes, obviously, it does not happen quite that way. You have to sit on it. Usually, I actually tell somebody like Matt, you know, pray about it for a week. Really consider your schedule. See if you have to kind of remove some other things in your schedule so that you can be a part of it. But that's one of the roles um, that uh, an uh, initiator is, is taking. Second role is you help people gather around the covenant. Uh, so in Discipleship Essentials, uh, the tool that we use, there's a covenant early in the book, uh, has five elements to it, and uh, you're wanting to help that group own the covenant, own those elements uh, to it. The first element is you're going to do the work to, before you show up. You know? Second element is you're going to show up every week, and you're going to be here for 90 minutes um, and share the thing, insights that you have received as you've done your own personal study and reflection. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to anticipate and accelerate growth. We call these groups the hot houses of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see you know, more rapid growth because of your investment uh, in this. We're going to open our lives up to each other. This is going to be a vulnerable experience, um, and we're going to keep confidentiality with each other. And then the, the fifth element, which is actually one of the most important elements in this covenant, is that you are going to give serious consideration to leading your own group once you've completed this one. Uh, so we try to build in the multiplication element from the very beginning and, and the anticipation of that. It's not something you drop on somebody, oh, we're at the last lesson. Oh, did I tell you you're supposed to lead your own group? Uh, no. Uh, you, you do this from the, from the get-go. And so people can be thinking about that, and periodically we review and renew the covenant, and and reinforce the fact that I move from give serious consideration to I expect you to lead your own group. <laughs> and uh, you kind of ease into that. But. So that's the profoundly simple is the, is the first one. Uh, secondly, that leaders are trained in the group. Uh, we'll often get asked the question, do you have specialized training for microgroup leaders? The answer is no. <laughs> uh, you get trained in the group itself. So I will lead for the first four to six weeks, or feel free to jump in at any moment here. Uh, and uh, we'll say, okay, all of you are going to now pick up leadership. We'll just rotate it. You really just take, I do it, we just take a lesson. You'll take, how long it takes you to take us through a lesson, uh, we'll do that. And I'll try to be a model to begin with, but then people can add their own twists. Uh, the material is pretty well laid out, so you can walk us right through it if you just want to do it that way. But you just have to keep us moving. 
And, uh, and usually there's two parts to a, a time together. There's a time to catch up on the relational side of things, the things that we're, we're dealing with, uh, things that we've been praying about, and then there's the content time of actually going through some the material. So try to keep that in balance, uh, those kind of things. So the training happens in the group. So if you've led a group uh, many, many times during that experience, and you get to the end, that provides the basis for people to be able to say, oh, I can do this. Uh, this is not you know, rocket science, though I'll show you a rocket here in a moment. Uh, but uh, it, it's something I can do. I've done it a number of times. This is a friendly environment uh, which to do it. And, you know, we might give each other a little bit of feedback in terms of, uh, you know, you could have picked up the pace a little bit there. We kind of lagged for a while. So keep, keep it moving along, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, so you get trained uh, in the group it, itself. Group members learn from each other. So the idea here is that there is no one teacher. Uh, it's not gathering people around you so that you can be the guru and teach other people. Uh, this is an egalitarian experience. Uh, whether you're a pastor or a parishioner, or just a, a member of the church, just a, um, you, everybody brings their own insights. Um, and you've done your work. And we learn from each other. And Ralph, why don't you talk a little bit about that? What's your experience of learning uh, from other members of your, of your group? Well, you said it well, Greg, that, that it's an egalitarian. I remember when I invited my pastor of the church that I've moved, I retired, and I went up to a mega church where my son-in-law son was on staff at this church in Washington. And I told the pastor I wanted to start uh, some groups in the church. He said, that's great, but I wanted to be in the first one. Okay. And then he said, very insightfully, I just want to be one of the guys. I just want to be one of the guys. And that's an important thing that everybody understands, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to each of us as we do our homework, and we bring that to the group. So there's, there's rich wisdom coming into that group. It's not one teacher. There are four people that the Holy Spirit's working through. And so everybody, we're, we're getting great answers to our questions because I'm getting, you know, four different opinions here and we're writing all this down. When I get to the end of having completed this and I'm ready to start my own group, I have a wealth of information now in my book. It's not just what I thought, but it's what the other three guys in my group thought. So I've got a, a great basis for moving on in the group. So, yeah, I, I love this idea. It's a rich environment in which to learn and get this information from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, some of my best stories have come out of yeah, the absolutely. in the group. Um, yeah, it was very, what, you know, some, some guys think in pictures and images. And uh, so we were talking about discipling the very first lesson. And I'll read our, our little de definition here in a moment. And, uh, and he says, um, it's kind of like the old Westerns. Remember when the sheriff would go out and round up a posse, and then he would slap badges on the posse and, and, and delegate authority to them to go round up the bad guys. That's what I think discipling is. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good image. You know? <laughs> I used it in my little book <laughs> because of that. So. And now it's copyrighted, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's my story now. So, anyhow, the way we define discipling is this. In the very first lesson of Disciples of Essentials, discipling is an intentional relationship in which we walk alongside other disciples in order to encourage, equip, and challenge one another in love to grow towards maturity in Christ. This includes equipping the disciple to make disciples who make disciples. So, a couple of things. One, well, I'll get to the intentional thing in a little moment, but walk alongside one another. Note, it's not hierarchical. It's not a discipler over others. We're discipling with one another. Uh, and we're, and people say, well, that's not really Jesus' model. Jesus really was over his disciples, was it not? So don't we need to have a, an authority over the people that we are discipling? And my retort to that is it's not positional authority. It's character authority. Now, the word exousia in the Bible is means out of being. Your authority comes out of your being, not out of your position. So what authority I have in the group simply has to do with the quality of life I'm living. And that's the important thing uh, that's there, not that I have positional authority. Um, so authority is that which is earned, is it not? 
by you know, the way the way that we live. So, Member Jeff Hibbrand. Yeah, <clears throat> sure. One of the guys in my group, he was coming from an AA background. He hadn't been a believer all that, you know, just a couple of years. Uh, and he got into my group and he just couldn't believe. He couldn't see himself in a leadership position because he knew so little. He just felt like he was the youngest guy, and he was spiritually the youngest guy in the group, and that he'd never be able to lead a group. But he took my confidence in him as authority to lead his first group. Ah. He said, I can do it, so okay, I'm going to do it. And he went out, and he's doing a great job. He's leading a second group now, and uh, amazing uh, how this young believer has come along. He's not, a, he's not young physically, but he's young as a, a spiritual. Yeah, that's great. But he's Good. leading his group. Good. Yeah, you gave him uh, the... Uh, confidence to be able to do that and instill that. Um, my One of my latest groups uh, was one of my most interesting ones because uh, it has a vast age span. And uh, so we have an 18-year-old who just graduated from high school, a 26-year-old who's involved in the entertainment business, a 57-year-old who was had his own finance business, kind of virtual CFO business, and, and myself. And my concern was, would this 18-year-old feel comfortable with, you know, these older people? And uh, would he you know, be able to articulate his, his own beliefs? Now, un admittedly, this is a very unusual 18-year-old in terms of his faith, but it was so much fun to have this passionate young believer who had just come to faith in Christ as a 16-year-old who comes out of a non-believing home and who was standing for his faith in the midst of family that was saying, you've gone nuts. Uh, and... Uh, and just to have that kind of experience and see life through his perspective, that was, that was great. So, um, so yes, um, group members learn from each other. And then uh, moving the mindset from consumer to contributor. Um, so there's my you know, rocket ship uh, illustration. What would happen in your churches if we moved out of being consumers to contributors? Uh, don't most of us go to church to consume what the pastor has to offer or get us through another week or give me something inspirational? And it's not coming with the mindset of I'm making a contribution uh, to the life of, of the community. And uh, so if we could shift that sense of I've come to get to come to give, what would happen if people were involved in the microgroup experience? And at the end of that time, year to year and a half, they graduated and then took the responsibility of assuming the responsibility for others. How would that change the ethos of your congregation? I think that one thing of shifting people from being receivers to being givers uh, would have a massive transformation of the life of the church. And it's a simple thing. It's a small thing, you might say, but it's actually pretty huge thing in terms of what would, what would take place when, when that happens. So when you get to that end and somebody, yes, assumes that responsibility, I, I will go invite uh, others. And sometimes people are still, you know, jittery at the end there. And so we, we sometimes will pair them up with somebody else, okay? You need some confidence. Um, let's pair you together with, uh, and then you can go start your own group that way. So it doesn't have to be. Are you okay? What's that? It's a good time to do this. A good time to do this in terms of Pat. Well, come on up. And you do it. You do it. What? Tell a story. Why is this a good time to do this? Because you're showing the transition from becoming and becoming a leader. Okay. Well, there'll be a actually a moment in a second. So okay. one, one more. When you're ready. I just yeah. brought. It just came to mind. Ralph and I have heard each other talk so much that we just kind of like jump back and forth in terms of our our content. So. But I'll, I'll give one more thing before that. But so you see the, the rocket ship there that um, if, if kind of lethargy or inertia has set in with most of our believers, what's going to take to kind of get that rocket ship off the ground? And, and in the first stage of a rocket, that has to be the most powerful stage, right? To get it out of the gravitational pull of the atmosphere. And this is what I consider uh, kind of a first stage of the rocket, uh, getting people in microgroups, getting them to move their mindset uh, from that just I'm going to take it in to I'm going to give it out. And you get that kind of level, you know, is this all the discipleship process? Of course not. Uh, there's many other layers uh, to what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what we, you just get in this initial foundational stage. 
but it's that which gets the propell propelling going that is, is so important, I think. So that's why that image is up there. Uh, and then microgroup leaders are affirmed and recognized. Um, so um, it's really important that we have the ability to, once somebody has completed the process and are willing to assume responsibility for the next generation, to give a symbol uh, of that, that recognition. And um, so we have uh, what we call the baton passing ceremony. Uh, and it looks something like this, you know, that's, uh, you're, you're going to complete the relay race, you know. The Second Timothy 2.2, Paul says, what you've heard from me and the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful ones who can find faithful, the faithful ones who will be able to teach others also, the four generations uh, that are there. So we have this baton that we, that we pass from one generation to another. Uh, oftentimes we'll tell the story at the end of our workshops, which Ralston's encouraging me to do right now, and uh, <laughs> that I go back to the 1988 Seoul Olympic Games, and uh, this has happened more than once, but it certainly happened in this, this games, and the particular uh, 4x100 relay race, which is one of the featured races, or certainly in the Olympic Games, uh, the American team at that time was certainly considered the class of the field. There wasn't any doubt as to who was going to win the race. The big question was, would they break the world record? Uh, so that was what was anticipated. And so that day, with the crowd, with thousands of people in the stands, uh, they're in anticipation. They have the clock on the field. You can follow where they are in, in relationship to breaking the world record as they're running around the track. And so you know, the first American runner takes off in a shot. Once the gun has gone off, and boom, they're running down the, the, the track there and getting ready to hand the, the baton to the second second runner, and the American team is by far ahead already in the first leg of the journey, and clean handoff from the first to second runner, he's shooting on ahead, the crowd is looking at the clock, they're ahead of the world record, and excited about all that, and the third, second, third runner passes, start to pass it off to the, the fourth runner, and you see some kind of stumbling going on, and all of a sudden, the baton is dropped. The American team is disqualified and the air goes out of the stadium. <laughs> you know, shocked at what's happened. So our uh, admonition to people is, don't drop the baton. <laughs> Pass it on. And we want to present a baton to a, a man who's in our ministry uh, that uh, is not dropping the baton but passing it on. And we'd like to have Dave Shanuel to come on up and uh, receive this. Uh, Dave has developed a, a regional ministry in, in the Missouri area and uh, is coming more and more aligned with our ministry, which we are... You're not the only one surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you, are, you, you have been a model and faithful man to us and the work that you're doing there and as a pastor and as a uh, life insurance salesman. <laughs> Two months... Three weeks. Three weeks. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. All right. So um, so those are some, some thoughts around uh, I could go into step by step in terms of the roles that the leader has, and that, that's too much detail. Uh, I have that laid out very clearly in the Leader's Guide and, and Discipleship Essentials, if you want to get that, in terms of the role the leader has in each one of the roles they play. And 
to try to help make sure that the, that it's been has passed on. But let me, I'll just pause here. Questions about leadership uh, in relationship to the microgroups that you might want to pursue. Yes. You were talking about the propellant um, to start something like this. Yeah. So um, if you are currently doing this on your own and it's not a part of your church mm -hmm. environment, it's also, like you said, it, you mentioned it has to come from the pastor, but it's not uh, a part of my pastor's yeah, right. vision. Okay. Uh, but I happen to be discipling the women's ministry leader and her assistant, and so that has caught hold there. Okay. And they are um, wanting this for the women of our church. So my question is, the propellant, it, does that come from um, the church leadership, or does or can that come individually? Uh, I mean, ideally, you would hope it would come from church leadership, but obviously that's not your circumstance at this point. Uh, so I guess what I would encourage you to do is just go as far as you can with women's ministry and uh, let some of that buzz uh, take effect. And hopefully people are watching uh, what is taking place. And uh, you might then have the opportunity based upon that uh, to you know, have an audience uh, with your whoever your leadership is, your senior pastor, or whatever titles that you use in your church, to be able to share what's going on and your hope and dreams for the church. Because, uh, yeah, you can lead from the bottom up. It's kind of leading from the second or underneath position, uh, in a sense. Uh, but you know, to remain faithful in your discipling, and once the women's uh, director has enjoyed that experience and maybe is, uh, that's taking hold with her, that could influence um, the rest of the church. Do you think then in her vision is to take it to broader, you know, to the yeah. church body? So I don't know how that goes from this organic little bit yeah. to the big group. Yeah, well, if she's a staff member and she will have access to staff and leadership decisions and formation of leadership vision for the church, I would hope she could, you know, gain her footing uh, and uh, gain her confidence that she could articulate that she thinks this should be a, a part of overall ministry and, you know, be bold, frankly, to sit down individually with senior pastors, share that vision and looks what's happening. Wouldn't this be great if it happened to the rest, rest of the church? And uh, you might think about it too, pastor, being involved in this kind of relationships, you know. Yeah, I well, think, yeah, I know that's... Uh, that's a difficult, difficult position, but it sounds like you've got some receptivity there, some, some key people. That's great. Yes. I'm curious about support for those that you've worked with now, they're working with a group. Like, what does that look like? Do you touch base with them? Do you check, check in with, so they've been with you a year now. Oh, I see. They're, yeah. they're doing their own groups. Yeah. What is that? What yeah, it, it's, it's vital that you have some kind of ongoing connection with people as they're, especially as they're launching their next generation of groups. Uh, so the group I just described with the 18, 26, 57 year old group, uh, we meet monthly. Okay. Um, so uh, I actually picked up another book of what I've written called uh, The Essential Commandment on the Great Commandment. And so we use that as lessons. So we spend a couple hours a month together, part on content, but the rest on relational kind of same things and also accountability. <coughs> around their group life and how's it going any problems they're having so those become coaching sessions right. as well so bring any problem solving kinds of things that uh, need to come up and focus more on their leadership not so much on their spiritual life right since they're doing that in their micro groups. yeah well we do that Two. part okay. yeah do that part yeah we keep, okay. we keep up with that that's okay. why we're doing the essential commandment content okay. in terms okay. of uh, sharing that together but then also keeping track okay. of how their ministries uh, are going as well. And then that creates some, I'm assuming, teachable moments, like when issues come up that you're able to perhaps Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, they bring the bring the issues. Right. Uh, so they're responsible for that, and then we can share our responses together. I, I, I still don't try to put myself in the answer man position. Right. Uh, but let's solve these problems together, you know, and how would you, what wisdom do each of us bring to that situation? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. 
Yes. Uh, just practically speaking, uh, I'm in second generation one one, but my fear is doing three to four with people's schedules and then people get behind if you're doing a What's your wisdom on that? Have you tried it yet? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> so well, you're, you're just an, you're anticipating a, um, problems. Well, my first generation group, when I was in, we were all adaptable, so we we were able to do it. Yeah. But a lot of people keep. Well, it, but the value of you know you're talking about the flexibility of three or four. Can we get all the people together, all that kind of stuff? Um, so what I have found is that when you meet initially uh, for your first meeting. You obviously try to find a seam in the schedule is why I call it. Uh, there are all of us. You can keep to that particular moment if much as possible. Um, but the other value of, of having it smaller is that sometimes if something intrudes into that, those people's lives, you can shift it even within the week because it's not that big a group that you're having to, to, to move around. So actually the group that I have that meets normally at four o'clock on Thursday afternoons um, there's been some travel going on in that, with that group, uh, babies born, and et cetera, and uh, we just shift to another day. Uh, so it's that, now this group is a little more flexible in terms of our time because there's, uh, we're all, quote, retired. Um, but um, but I, I found that you usually can find a seam in the schedule. And if they commit themselves to the covenant, uh, people will keep up with the work. I think that was your second point. Well, people fall behind. And uh, if, you, if you do a good job, and this is an important part, do a good job of helping people understand the commitment level that they are entering into from the get-go. And I, I don't water it down. I just I want to lay it out there. Here's what we, is expected of you. Can you do this? Uh, I will oftentimes say to people, uh, is there something you need to drop out of your schedule in order to put this into your schedule? Uh, is there something you need to remove? Because we oftentimes live right at the margins of our life, right? And right up there, can't add one more thing. Um, so it's important for people to do a serious consideration of that. And so uh, vast majority of people I, I find follow through on that covenant. I had one guy who was actually my next door neighbor uh, who I think stepped out because of the complexities of his own schedule and having another baby, et cetera. Uh, but uh, I've, he's already told me, I hope to come back in <laughs> at some point. Well, so, we found yeah. out in our group this that as you go a little bit along and you get a lot closer, it becomes a real priority. Yes, right. It, it becomes a, 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 not just a priority, but a highlight of the yeah. week and that you want to be a part of. Yeah, Dan mentioned in the last session that we tend to front load relational development before getting into a lot of content. And the reason is for to create that kind of relational glue. And even if you come together as relative strangers, which you oftentimes do, uh, with these groups, um, within the first few weeks when you are telling your faith journey story, when you're asking some fun questions about, uh, tell us an embarrassing moment uh, during your courtship with your wife, uh, and you get a chance to laugh with each other about what had it, what it taken place. Um, that starts to bring that group together. And it's amazing with that group that size how quickly you bond. Uh, and when that bonding takes place, as you say, it, it draws people in and keeps that tensile strength going uh, in that sense. Yeah. One thing I did was that because I'm a little over 30. <laughs> you <laughs> are? Yeah, okay. I'm no longer working for a paycheck, but I really felt the calling to pour into younger women's lives. No one poured into mine. And uh -huh. I to do Bless that. your heart. Yeah. So I prayed for my people of peace, mm -hmm. and God showed me, okay. and they accepted and so what I do for them is every, because they are working, they have families and all, every Tuesday evening, they come to my home for supper. Mm -hmm. And I make supper. We sit on the table and talk. We bring dessert into the living room, and that's when we start. And they love it. Mm -hmm. They just love that time. I'll be yeah. in that group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you make dessert? I don't uh, Okay, right. Okay, where do you live? <laughs> okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, appreciate your investment in younger women and knowing that what you didn't get, you want to make sure somebody else does get. That's terrific. Yeah. So, have you figured out a good time of how long to go on before you reproduce? 
Well, the, uh, yeah, the, the length of time, actually, this is where it gets a little bit programmatic, even though we talk about the relational side of things. Our basic tool that we use is Discipleship Essentials. It's at 25 lessons, but that doesn't mean it's 25 weeks. Uh, if people can get through a lesson uh, over a two-week session per lesson, that's usually pretty good. So I would say the average length of time it takes to get through Discipleship Essentials is a year to a year and a half. Uh, and and all, we don't put it on a schedule uh, because every group has its own internal dynamic and personality and how well they're processing and incorporating the content into their life. And so we don't schedule it. And so it takes um, sometimes even longer than that. So, um, and the expectation is that once you actually have gotten to that, the conclusion, you have a tool that you can use. And even if you might cons not consider your maturity level that high at, the, at that point, we say, you know, step out in faith, do it. I'll tell you a story ahead of time here that I was going to tell a little bit later. But uh, <clears throat> I had a man by the name of Mick in my discipleship group. And Mick uh, had come into our new members class. I was leading that at the point, and this is when I was pastoring church. And uh, he uh, had come out of a Roman Catholic background. And actually, the first day he walked into this, this um, members class, he handed me a notebook. It was 97 single-space pages of comparing Protestant theology with Roman Catholic theology. And like I said, he'd been a lifelong Roman Catholic. And to make this step into a Protestant church was a big step. Now, his wife, Sally, uh, had been a Methodist, converted to Roman Catholicism so they could get married in the Roman Catholic church, and now she was finding her drawback to the, her Protestant roots, okay? So I was just getting ready to start a group, and I thought, well, Mick, he's, he's a good candidate. So I'll invite him to, to join us, which he did. And we've showed up for the very first day of our group. We were meeting in a, a conference table around the law office of one of the guys in the group. And Mick had his very thick study Bible with him. He put his hand in the Bible as if to say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he says, I have never opened a Bible. And here's the exact conversation. I said, you mean you've never read it seriously? No, I mean I've never opened the Bible wow. <laughs> this entire time. You go to Mass regularly, every week, uh, but never did anything for himself. And he even wrote this 97-page page document and just re read through a, a Reformed theologian's view of Roman Catholicism. So where, where he got it. And uh, so... We had all kinds of rabbit trails to go down during that time because he had question after question and, uh, and all the basis of salvation, et cetera. 18 months later, he was leading his own discipleship group. And uh, it was you know, really, now admittedly, he was smart enough to know what he didn't know. Uh, and so things would come up in his group and he, he would just make a list of questions. I didn't, I didn't know how to respond to this and we didn't know how to solve this. And periodically invite me into the group and we just have a little kind of Q&A time and uh, go over some stuff like that. But so, yeah, you know, you might say, well, that's pretty bold to have launched this guy. But boy, did he grow <laughs> and stretch uh, during that time. So, yeah. There might have been a question in a question that came up and okay. how, how long you have to go. Uh, some of you are pastors. And if you go back like I, I was, I didn't want to wait till I had this thing was taking too long, you know, I, 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 we got to get this thing going. So I'm starting one group and then, you know, uh, six months later, I'm starting another group and then another group. And not only that, I've got people in my group that are well capable because they know the content. They know this, a lot of this stuff. Uh, they don't have to go through the entire 25 weeks to start their own group and they're ready to start. So I leave them in my group so that I'm with them and I'm uh, meeting with them weekly, but they've got a group on the side that they started at, at Lesson one, where we're in lesson 17. And so they've started a group, and that rushes, the, you know, picks up the pace a little bit. So that may have been a question that I was kind of hearing in, yeah, in that, the question. Yeah, that's that, good reading of that. There, there are a lot of people in your churches that have come out of parachurch ministries. And so maybe what, during their college years with crew or university or navigators or whatever, who understand the dynamics of the smaller group experience and, and the level of depth of relationship that you're trying to get to. And so if they have that, had that, sometimes you're just reminding people of the experience they had once had that they've forgotten about. And so you probably have people like that in your, in your congregations that could, you know, say, oh, gosh, yeah, 
you had that. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> in, that, in that setting. So that's another thing to, to consider. Yeah. yeah. Another logistic question, uh, meeting like with a small group of guys, maybe at a work site, you mentioned meeting at this law office. Is there a, is there a digital version of this material that, or do people in the micro group need to have, physically have this book for the group? Yes, there is a digital version. Uh, it's, there's a writable PDF uh, that you can get uh, with InterVarsity Press and just go on online and order it off that so you can you know type all your answers into your you know iPad or whatever it is that you want uh, to put it in and have that available I've, I've transferred over most of my content uh, now onto my, my iPad so I, I just use that and you still can you know add notes as as people we, we've, had, we've had pressure to do that and because the younger generations come up and I've got a grandson who's in seminary and he hasn't bought a book yet you know, all the books are online. They, I mean, they just, that's the way they function. They function off their, their iPad or their uh, tablet or whatever. And so a lot of, a lot, I think it's going to go that direction. Yeah. And maybe us old guys will be out there. Well, we're, we're waiting, we're actually waiting momentarily for a release of an app that has been developed uh, that people can use for, with the discipleship material uh, as well. Uh, the organization that we're working with, it keeps telling me it's coming, it's coming. We're almost there, you know. I guess that's the nature of... Or, uh, yeah. being able to just make it portable and uh, yes um, right people uh, I like to redeem these devices so to see for people to be have form new habits of thinking what do I what am I looking for here and uh, to have that be something of thinking of their discipleship in that with that tool as you're talking yeah about. yeah okay great Good. question okay maybe one more question here and then I'm gonna try to go into the curriculum Focus. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're in our first generation, and we're actually a small um, campus plant. Oh, okay. Where we're trying to basically where we're you know, plant a campus that is based on discipleship, has a culture of discipleship from the very outset. Smart. Well, um, it's still challenging. Yes. <laughs> um, because of course you know we all have backgrounds and. There's six of us where we you know, we all come from different church backgrounds, and there's still this this draw toward um, focusing on a program or focusing on Sunday to Sunday as being the most important aspect of what we do. Um, so we've we've gone through we're in our first generation. We've, we've seen some some challenges and difficulties. Like for the guys, we're moving on. Our women have um, actually ended their small group because of just micro group, but yeah, micro group um, because of challenges and just you know, they were talking about being too rigid and different things like that. And, and a lot of it, what we're learning is like building the foundation of why we're doing this and ensuring that we're all on the same page. And, um, but I guess one question that was that, that I was thinking about when we talked about kind of the recurrence of this, you know, it, it, from the onset, you know, it was still a challenge about whether we do this weekly or bi-weekly or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we started up doing it weekly, um, and I think that was a point of contention <laughs> as well. But from your experience, when you do this weekly, and obviously when you look at the covenant, I mean, my assumption is that, or my understanding is that you commit to this weekly. Is there an instance where you ever skip a week, or is that going back to the covenant saying that no, we are committed to this? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, and and because things do interrupt, yes, you find yourself you have to skip weeks from time to time, and and that's okay. Uh, again, it's not a time driven thing. It's not a calendar driven. It's transformation driven. Letting God do what He wants to do in our lives through the curriculum. So, if you have to have to skip a week, that's okay. Uh, if you have to move a date, that's okay. If somebody's going to miss one week, and but the other three in your group are there, sometimes that's okay too. You bring the other guy back uh, on later, you bring him in, you catch him up, whatever you need to do. <clears throat> but you, you flex with those situations. And it sounds like you've got a very demanding, flexible kind of situation that you're trying to work with there. And so you, you'll probably have to find some things we haven't thought of yet but to make it work. But the ultimate objective is is to have everybody on the same page, have everybody understand, okay, this is content we want to share and we want to get out there. We want people to understand. But the relational component is critical in that. 
And so you keep building the relationships in the, in the process of going through the material. Yeah. Okay, let me uh, see if we can uh, move into this last segment here on curriculum in terms of the importance of that. And that will kind of lead us to our conclusion here. But uh, one of our GDI values is the biblically-based curriculum. Uh, we use Discipleship Essentials. covers the foundation for a life in Christ and the empowerment tool we use to disciple others. Okay? And you can see my puzzle pieces there. So I asked the question, well, what's the consequences if you do not have a curriculum? And uh, so let me spin out a few of them here. If you don't have a curriculum, you don't have a plan. <laughs> uh, what's your picture of a disciple to which you are trying to train people toward? Now, we, if you were to look through Discipleship Essentials, there's a picture that emerges of the, of the core elements of what uh, a, a disciple is. And uh, so uh, the reason I have this puzzle pieces there is that my image of most believers is that we've got a lot of disconnected puzzle pieces. Now, I, I hear a good message. You know, one of you preaches a great message on a Sunday morning. Oh, I got to remember that truth. Puzzle piece. Let me toss it in the box. Uh, read a devotional thought. Mm, gosh, that's, a, that's another puzzle piece. Toss it in the box. Uh, you see where I'm going. We got a lot of puzzle pieces that have never been assembled into a, a picture. And hopefully a decent discipleship curriculum, discipleship essentials or others that you might come across, does a pretty good job of assembling those puzzle pieces into a com more complete picture of what the Christian life is. And so if you are to put together a puzzle, what do you do? You get a box, uh, you dump the puzzle pieces out on the table, you find all the straight edges so that you can see what the frame is gonna be to that, that puzzle piece. Uh, you set the box up on the table because it has the picture of what you're trying to end up with and I, that's what my visual is of a good discipleship curriculum, that you will have a picture of what a disciple is to be about foundationally, to get the foundations of the faith. And so I trust that um, something like Discipleship Essentials is, is helpful to that. Uh, if you don't have a curriculum, you won't be intentional. Where are you taking people? Where are you going? What's the word intentional mean? Well, it means that we are purposeful, we are covenantal, we're kind of growing people to maturity and assist them uh, to become not just adults, but a parent, but parents. Uh, what's the opposite of intentional? The nature of our churches. <laughs> Haphazard, a lot, of, a lot of stuff that we throw out there uh, that doesn't get assembled into a picture. So it's a haphazard, do as you, um, you know, it's random, it's unscheduled. Um, you know, so it's, it's easy uh, just to kind of devolve into lots of stuff that we do, but what's going to hold it all together. What's the foundation that's going to uh, create that? So uh, you will hear me make a case for adopting a disi foundational discipleship curriculum for the entire church that you want the vast majority of people to go through. And this is what happened at Camarillo Community Church. One of the effects that happened when, when you have 450 people or 500 or whatever it was that went through discipleship essentials, what do you have? You got a common language. You got common experience. You got common basis for conversations. A pastor can get up in front of a congregation and and know that they have the baselines have been covered. We can build from there. Now, uh, but if you have just a bunch of stuff that you're doing, um, it's not it's not going to unite uh, the congregation. So uh, again, I've been whistling in the wind about about this for a long time. And I know pastors are very reluctant to do that. Oh, that one size doesn't fit all. You know, come on. You have to have things that people can choose from. We're, you know, we're very choice-oriented in the American culture. We want to decide what we want for ourselves, right? And uh, so, uh, you know, so I'm, I know I'm going against current of American life when I even say this, but I just think there's such a value of having a baseline. Uh, that you feel like people have been discipled into, and then you then you can go off in all kinds of branches from there. You can have an apologetics track. You can have helping people discover their spiritual gifts and ministry track. You can have all kinds of other things, but you need that baseline uh, from which to from which to do it. Uh, you will you don't have a transferable tool. Uh, one of the values of going through a tool like Discipleship Essentials is you have something now that people can hold on to and use for some, with somebody else. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of discipleship programs do not have this. I used a case study in the very first session 
Uh, and the case study was, well, suppose you have a new believer that's in your church. Uh, let's call him Joe or Jane. And uh, you want to make sure this new believer gets grounded in the faith. And so you walk up to one of your more mature believers on Sunday morning. You say, I got Joe, Jane here. Just come to faith in Christ. I've got a challenge for you. Uh, would you walk with this person over the next year to make sure that they're grounded in the faith? And then your job is not done until they can do the same for others. Hmm. What do you think the response of most people would be in your church? <laughs> Probably might ask you, do you have some, something, a tool that I can use? <laughs> uh, do you have a guideline that I can put together? You know, what's the pathway uh, that I am to follow? Because most people would not have a clue um, as to what to do. So you might have to help them have a clue. Um, you won't have a sense of progression or progress. Uh, this is uh, one of the things that got me to write something like Discipleship Essentials, was I would be meeting with people, particularly one-on-one. -on -one. I knew I needed to disciple people. That had been a model for me, which I won't go into at this point. So I was meeting with individuals, quite a number of them usually. And, but I was, like I said, making it up as I went. Uh, I was cobbling together resources on the fly. Now, so, okay, we need to study some basic doctrine. Okay, let's read basic Christianity together from John Stott's book, and we'll let that be the foundation. But you need to have a good quiet time. What should I use for that? Uh, okay, let me go find some resources there. Got, we need to have uh, faith in our families. Okay, how, do I, how does a Christian father model that? So it's just cobbling together stuff. And then I realized I need a place where I can go with a resource uh, that gives me a sense of the progress we're making. And so now that we've kind of tried to lay out in a sequential fashion uh, some of that progress, you feel like you, you know the territory you're covering and, uh, and why, why you're covering that. And then finally, uh, you will not have a structure to define your time together. A lot of smaller units can kind of devolve into chit-chat. Uh, talk about the events of the day, uh, latest sporting stuff going on, you know, politics, whatever. And uh, you can get off track. Uh, have a structure through a curriculum gives you tracks to run on. And oftentimes you will be dealing with things that are of uh, emotional and spiritual challenge of people in your group. You know, you can, I'll guarantee you if you meet for a year to a year and a half, there will be someone in the group or more than one that will be dealing with a major difficulty in their life. It could be a health issue. It could be... It could be finances, it could be marriage relationship, like the, my last group. Uh, many number of things that will draw your attention to focus on that, that issue uh, that's going on in somebody's life. And you need to pause and be able to focus on that, because sometimes that becomes the most important thing, uh, to minister to a person in need at that point. But then you have something to come back to, <laughs> to get back on those tracks, so that you can, uh, you know, keep moving in that direction. So it defines uh, your, your time together. Okay, um, so uh, we have some, those, those are the resources you, this is the resources you'll find on the table back here. Uh, Disciples of Essentials, uh, my main text for uh, the whole picture of, the broader picture of the whole discipleship process. A lot of what we talk about in this seminars comes out of this book, and this the book's much more complete than what we can accomplish here, but it talks about the need for disciple-making today, the model for both Jesus and Paul's approach to disciple-making, and then a church-based strategy to implement Jesus and Paul's model of relational disciple-making. So it's uh, you know transforming discipleship. And then my latest little book, as I call it, is The Essential Guide to Becoming a Disciple, it's, uh, it's a little eight-lesson book. I call it an on-ramp to Discipleship Essentials. So if, if it's too daunting to start with the 25-lesson book and that feels overwhelming to people, this is a good way to tease people into the process. Uh, it's in the same format. It's much simpler. Uh, it has a covenant connected to it. And the covenant states, once you've done this, we're going to go into a deeper walk together uh, around Discipleship Essentials. So, but it intends to answer the question, if I want to be a disciple, what is expected of me? It's kind of a pre-qualifier in a sense of, okay, let's think about what this following Jesus is all about. Uh, and so gets people right up to the place of, 
Okay, do you want to be all in or not? Here's, here's, a, here's a question for you. Uh, here's the turning point uh, at this point. So that's um, what we have there. Um, so uh, I'll just skip through this. Ralph, say one thing about the unifying effect of curriculum at Camarillo Church. I pastored for 25 years there, and I, I preached on everything I knew to preach about, and preached it over and over and trying to uh, equip our congregation to be people that understood God's word. But we still found ourselves as, I think, that disconnected puzzle thing. Uh, and when we, we launched into Discipleship Essentials, and I started with one, we started with four groups simply. We didn't tell anybody, we just did it in stealth. And the groups matured, and after a year, they multiplied. And we went, my group, four guys went to 16 guys. And so did uh, Bev's group, and so did Jim's group, and so did Daryl's group eventually. And these, these groups began to multiply within the church. We began to have this common language. Everybody understood when we started talking discipleship, everybody knew exactly what we were talking about. They knew where we were going. And we found a cohesiveness in the congregation that I have not experienced in 25 years as a pastor. Everybody understood. And they began to understand why we're, we're doing what we're doing. Jesus' last command. Everybody knows his last command. Everybody can quote Matthew 28, 18 through 20, but they don't know what to do with it. And we had found a way to do this. Now we're making disciples. And every member of the congregation involved in these things realized, I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm doing what Jesus told us to do. Hey, this is exciting. We're doing the right stuff here. And everybody felt that sense of excitement about going where Jesus went and following him the way he would have us follow. And it was, it was amazing what that did as far as unifying the church. That's great. Okay. So we're think, towards the end of our our time here. I bet there's still some more questions. What do you think? Uh, probably. Um, any any questions, thoughts? This is it's uh, episode essentials in Spanish. Yes. Yeah. In Spanish, we have 23, 23 languages. Twenty three languages. Yeah. More more to come. Yeah. So the the curriculum looks extremely ecumenical. Uh, it yeah. is. It's intended to be that way. You yeah. can use it in in multiple denominations, and we found that easily transferable. And then, what are recommendations for including our own specific context in those lessons? Is there anything you just? It's up to you. Okay. As a yeah. 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 Denominate. You, know, you might have a distinctive about what is discipleship and out of your tradition, you know, so you can put your own stamp on that, I guess, as well. And, and this might be a far reaching question. You have a church that's leaning toward discipleship. Okay? Yes. Is it possible to use not, not discipleship essentials, but this curriculum possibly as a Sunday school curriculum? <coughs> How would that fit in, in in a small group? Our Sunday school would fit. I have used that in multiple situations and it has been used in multiple situations. In fact, we tell people don't preach through discipleship essentials, 25 sermon series. I did that. <laughs> but did not you? right away. You know, we, we did it much later on. You did that? Yeah, we did. Oh. But, but what, you do, what you do when you First do time that, I've heard that. <laughs> is you, you really limit the learning experience. You know, people in a congregation of, you know, whatever, aren't going, they don't learn at the sp same speed. They've got different questions. They've got different things to deal with. And that's why that environment of a quad, four people learning together, is so powerful. But you can use it that way, obviously, and you could use it in a Sunday school situation and like that, and, and a small group. And we had a, a dentist in one of my groups who went back to Taiwan. He'd been a missionary in Taiwan, a missionary in Taiwan for six or seven years. Came home, got into one of my groups, and said, "Where was this material when I was in Taiwan? I was trying to disciple people, and I had no tracks to run on." He packed his suitcase, and he and his wife went back to Taiwan using that book first. And began because he wanted a quick start. He, he got pastors together. They used the essentials to becoming a disciple, uh, and with those groups, and in one year he had 34 groups going. Yeah. Uh, let, let me give a caution though to what, you use it in the context of a of a class. People have a class mentality, and and that is oh that was nice for that. Now what do we do next? And there's no reproduction component uh, connected to that. And there's probably not a deeper relational component either. So I would say 
Uh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the author here. Yes. I think what he is kind of referring to is it becomes another program. Yes. They, yeah. They're not thirsty. They don't, you know, you've got to pray for your people in peace. Yeah. 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 You're, now, I love you on Amazon. It's a seven book series. Is that right? Six. Six books that I've written, yeah, yeah. Five are with InterVarsity Press, one is with Zonderman, so, yeah. Okay, anything else? Um, let's, uh, we want to just kind of share with you the resources that are available. Yeah. You have a, a response card there. We'd love to partner with any of you who would like to have any further ongoing relationship, conversation. Uh, that if we can be of help with your church in any way, that's what we're here for. We have That's, newsletters that come out, so yeah. if you give us your and, address, we can and get so you to, Dan, come on up here for a second. Uh, Dan is our director of our cohort training, and uh, we have been developing over the last few years a, well, tell us. Yeah, so over the last couple of years, we've developed this, this cohort, uh, 16 content sessions. It's all online now, which offers a wonderful opportunity to, to interact during the month meets once a month two hours same same format what's what's the time we're going to meet many times international uh, participants so talk about schedule challenges but but that that's we, we protect that time um, sweet spot you say well it is the cohort for me sweet spot where you're going to get the most out of it I'm I've, I've led microgroups they're starting to reproduce I've got some questions that's the sweet spot. What, what we are beginning to offer now, which is which may be a number of you, coaching microgroups. So what's a coaching microgroup? That's when a pastor wants to start this or somebody in the church, a lay person, wants to start this in your church, but you're not quite sure how. We like to group those into, into groups of quads or fours. And you'll meet, meet with this group, and it, it may be every week, it may be twice a month or, or, or once a month. Uh, just depending on what you're available for, but we'll put you in that kind of, and one of us will lead it, and we'll help you get started. I've got a, a pastor from India, a pastor from Switzerland, a pastor from the UK, and a pastor from Philadelphia that now meet weekly. They're all starting microgroups in their church this fall, and so we got them in a group. And these guys meet every week, and they're having a great time encouraging each other, learning from each other as we go through some of the material to acquaint them with it. So that's available too. Let us know what your needs are. We'll try to help. Take those yellow cards or whatever and let us know and we'll keep in touch with you. We'll get back with you and show you how. In these yeah. folders, I'm going to put them on the back table, uh, FAQs about the cohort, uh, the, the curriculum focus. Here's each session. Here's what we're covering and an application. First come, first serve. They said, how big is the cohort? Four. We limit it to four. What do you do when you fill up? Start the cohort. You know, if, if, there's a, if there's enough to start a second, we'll start. When are we going to start? Maybe January. So these will be in the back. Thank you. Okay. Great. Um, yeah, just if you have your response cards, just drop them off at the back table there. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you all. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that the last three episodes specifically given to us by GDI were super helpful for you in your journey in becoming a disciple maker. Make sure you check out discipleship.org and go ahead and purchase your tickets for the upcoming forum. You don't really have that much longer, October 5th and 6th. That's coming up really, really soon. So make sure you do that. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being a listener of the Disciple Makers podcast. Have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode.